So I'm going to read once again. I'm going to read today out of the King James Version, uh, a text which has kind of been a, a groundwork for our last uh, couple of sessions together. Now, for those of you who have not been here, we are uh, looking together at Christian ethics, uh, principles of conduct, as John Murray uh, calls it in his book, or answering uh, the question that uh, Francis Schaeffer posed some years ago, how should we then live? Uh, how do we live in light of God's instruction? How do we live in light of God's grace? Uh, how do we live in the variety of cultures in which God has placed his people? Uh, how do we serve God in our generation? How do we meet the needs of the present hour? Uh, and this is going to be different. If this class were taught 60 years ago, 100 years ago, or 50 years from now, there would be certain elements of application. There would be things that we would emphasize uh, in uh, depending upon uh, what is happening around us. Uh, but we are looking uh, in these last number of weeks at questions relating to sexuality. Uh, we have looked at the creation uh, ordinances. Among those was marriage. Uh, and we have looked at matters relating to sexual sin. We've looked at the matter of marriage, sexuality in marriage, and now we are considering uh, the issue of our sexuality as it uh, relates to being male and female. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 16, 13, uh, the word of God says, and again, I'm reading out of the King James, watch ye, uh, ye there being uh, the people of God, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, or act like men, be strong. So let's once again pray, and let's ask God's help as we spend this time uh, together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that we have the word of God forever settled in the heavens. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have the law of God, which enlightens the eyes. Father, we thank you that we have a, a God who speaks truth that resonates in every culture and in every generation. And Father, we pray that we would not be found uh, fearful, that we would not be found to be ashamed of our Lord or at his words, that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Help us, Heavenly Father, to think your thoughts after you. Help us, Heavenly Father, to uh, have a, a, a good knowledge of your word, which should embolden us and help us as a church and help us, Lord, to do good to the world that you have placed us in. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In 1910, a man named Rudyard Kipling, uh, whose name I think is well known to many of you, uh, The Jungle Book and, and uh, etc., cetera, uh, he wrote a poem called If. Uh, and you may not know the, uh, it by its, uh, its title, but many of you, if not all of you, have heard at least a portion uh, of this poem. Uh, it's, a, it's a poem written to his son. It's a poem in which he gives a, a series of scenarios in the four stanzas about what it means to be a man in his generation. And the best known portion of the hymn is actually from the first few lines, which reads, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. 
And what, you, what often is, is then they drop to the last line, then you'll be a man, my son. But let me read to you uh, this stanza, and I'll read the closing stanza. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. He concludes with these words. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you'll be a man, my son. If you can do this, if you can do that, I'm tempted almost to expound some of this because I, I think there's a lot of wisdom here. But the idea is if you can do this, if you can be this way, if you can be this way and yet not collapse into some vice on the other, if you can do this, he says, you'll be a man, my son. Now, Kipling is making a very interesting point, and it's essentially this, that there is a difference between a boy and a man. And to some degree, there is a difference between being simply a male and being, what we're getting at, being a man. But particularly, there is a difference between being a boy and a man. And that difference is not seen primarily in the passing of a certain number of days or months or years. It's the attainment of certain character. Now, in our society, when you turn 18, you're no longer a minor. If you're a male, when you're at your 18th birthday, you're a man. Now, your parents may look at you and treat you like you're a little boy. And those in your uh, circle of, of influence may regard you as not yet a man, yet the law says now you are a man. And Kipling is arguing that, no, you become a man whenever it is that you attain to these virtues. So here's an assignment for you. I thought I could put this at the end, but I'll, I'll put it here. If you were to write that poem today, and if you were to try to address masculinity in this modern era, if you were to modernize it, and you were to modernize it in the balanced way that Kipling does, I wonder what things you might highlight. And so maybe you can do this, and you can, maybe we'll, we'll have a contest, you can send it in and we'll see who has uh, the best poem. But it would be interesting to see what, if any differences, there would be if this were a sign to the mothers of boys versus the fathers of boys. I'd be, I'd be interested in that. 
I wonder if uh, Kipling's wife, if she had written it, what things would she highlight? And so maybe we can say things like this. If you can lead without cruelty, if you can love without self-indulgence, if you can be brave without anger, if you can without if you can be without compromise and yet remain kind, if you can lay down your life for others and not complain, if you can provide and not be bitter, if you can be sober-minded and yet remain joyful, if you can be merciful as you age, if you can engage the deepest needs of your children without provoking them to wrath, then you'll be a man, my son. Those might be some of the things that would be upon my heart in my mind. Now, the Bible tells us, and this is by way of review, the Bible does tell us that there is such a thing as a biological male. And of course, science backs this up. All science, all hard science backs this up. The Bible furthermore assigns duties and responsibilities to men by virtue, not just of their male physiology, we need to remember this, but by virtue of their godly masculinity. So, you know, some people say, well, only men can be pastors. No, only certain kinds of men can be pastors. It's not that because you have a male physiology, now you can be, uh, there are a lot of men that are barred from ministry, not because they're not a man, but because they're not a godly man. The qualities that separate a boy from a man or we might say, and again, I want to be very careful in light of, of so much of the teaching in our day. I want to be very careful in how I phrase this. The difference between male biology and male character. There are some who have a very strong male biology. Some big tough football player who beats his wife. Is he a man? As we're describing it? Or is he a grown, is he a overgrown boy who's never learned to manage himself, never learned to control himself? So again, there are times when the word of God uses the phraseology and exhorts men to act like men. For instance, we saw some of the battle cries in the Old Testament, let us play the man. Let's not be like women who need to be protected, who don't have the strength to do what we're called to do, but let us stir ourselves up to courage and to action, that is, act like a man, and that's what is behind this terminology in 1 Corinthians 16. Watch, stand fast in the faith, act like men, translated in many translations as either be strong or, or be courageous, be brave, uh, is the idea. Now, again, in this instance, a dominantly male characteristic. Courage is not an exclusively male characteristic. Women are called to be courageous as well. But if you were to assign these things to one or the other, you'd say, well, that's, I normally think of men in that way. Again, I, there are many, many courageous women, many brave Women, many strong women. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that they're not that, but it is a dominantly male characteristic. Strength, courage, protection are given to all in the church in this sense. 
but to men in particular. So that when it says, ladies, you need to act like, you need to be a bit more like men in this. Men sometimes are told you need to find your, your inner woman. Well, sometimes women need to find their inner male. Uh, and by saying that, I am not giving any credence to that phrase. So, um, but again, even in this, and saying that act like men, uh, where a woman is told to act like a man, there are differences between the two that are being highlighted. It doesn't say just act like a person, act like a man, uh, showing something of God's good design. And so while both male and female are the image of God, they are by design, biologically, and in some cases, functionally, and by disposition, different and distinct. So the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 16, androzizo, uh, hang on here, andros, I have it down not in the Greek, I have it written in an anglicized form, which is what's throwing me off. Uh, andrizomai. Sorry, that's it, andrizomai. Act like men, be a man, show yourself strong, be brave, be manly. That's the idea. Uh, making a distinct masculine quality, again, associated with this. So last time we looked together at several things. We noted that there are biological realities. There's the physical that the Bible sometimes highlights. Uh, there are the functional matters where even in the same context in the home, there are, there are commands given to husbands, commands given to wives. There are commands given to fathers domestically. And again, normally when there is a parental command, there are, there are generic issues, but there are things given primarily to fathers. You fathers, do not provoke your children. Uh, but bring them up. Don't discourage your, your children, whatever. That's given to the father uh, as a male. Uh, and again, it's not that a single mother can't learn from this and, and deal with many matters in the homes. We, there's a sad reality many times of single mothers. And it's not that they can't function. But again, there is a reason why in God's design, children have a father uh, and a mother. They're not commands given um, again, there, there are commands given to men as husbands that are not generic marriage commands. Paul does something very interesting in this regard, as we saw last time. And in speaking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he describes his ministry in terms of being like a mother on the one hand and like a father on the other. And like a mother, there was a gentleness to their ministry, but like a father, there was the coming alongside, charging, warning, exhorting, that primarily is the role of a father. We noted that there are also uh, certain duties uh, and responsibilities uh, that are, are given and laid upon men. And particularly in the word of God, these are matters relating to leadership, uh, to decision-making, action, movement, uh, provision, and protection. And there were <laughs> Uh, a number of texts that we looked at in this regard. But then there are also, and this is where we're going to land today, there are these, these dispositional matters. Disposition or character. Uh, 
dispositional character. And what I want to deal with for, for the rest of the time here is the reality that characteristics rooted in physiology, strength, testosterone, etc., must be guided and directed and shaped by character. Male power devoid of male character can and does lead to harm and abuse. A man who says to his wife, you're going to do what I say to do because I'm stronger than you. Don't you know what I could do to you? I could break you. I could snap you. Whatever the case may be. And yet he has no character that leads and guides and that compels. And so he's frustrated and he's angry. And it can lead again to harm and abuse. And as long as it just can, it has throughout the centuries done so. I also want to say at the beginning here, as we discuss this today, that there is nothing in our distinct masculinity that undercuts what we are called to do generally as Christians. That is to say, there's not like, well, there's, you know, the, some of the stuff we read in our Bible about, you know, be, being like lowly and gentle. Some guys may be very uncomfortable with that. And so, well, that doesn't, so that's more, that's more, those are womenly characteristics. No, those are just godly characteristics. And it's fascinating as we get into this in regard to women as well. What is the goal of every man and every, every Christian man and every Christian woman? Right. We're all trying to be like Christ. And so when we are going to highlight here some differences and some distinctions and some matters of, of male disposition and, and male character, none of that undercuts the, the, the great goal that we have as men and that our women have here, which is to be like the Savior, right? Isn't it interesting that the goal of, of all humanity is, is to be like the Lord Jesus? It's not like women have a different goal. Like, you, well, you all be like Mary and we'll be like Jesus. It's all of us are striving to be like Christ. And so I remind again, there is nothing in the fruit of the Spirit, nor is there any distinct mark of grace that undermines what it means to be a man or to be manly or nothing in regard to what it be, means to be a man or to be a man, manly that trumps or that ignores the matters of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Does that make sense? Did I miss one? Some of you are counting them in your... Uh, uh, so again, nothing in the fruit of the Spirit or in the distinct graces that mark Christian character that undermines a man's inherent strength of body or anything in the call to leadership that means, well, you can't be gentle and be a leader. You can't be patient and be a leader. You can't be joyful and be this. You can't be loving and be that. The Bible doesn't set these things in opposition. And I'm going to argue that what makes these things in a man... The distinct characters of a man, what make these things safe and beautiful and desirable are these Christian graces 
It's what, it's what makes manliness, again, safe, makes a home safe, what makes it desirable to be married and a joy to have sons, what makes this beautiful and desirable as opposed to fearful and unsettling. And what our society is arguing in some cases is that maleness as maleness is fearful and unsettling, not safe and desirable. And so sometimes the idea is if, if, if you want to be a safe and beautiful and desirable male, that means um, emasculating you. It means feminizing you. No, you don't have to do that because genuine Christian character in its male and female form as it works itself out in the home and church and in society has a harmony and a, beautiful, and a beauty to it that the world can't attain to. So a father who protects safe, desirable, beautiful versus a father who abuses horrific, fearful, unsettling. The husband who loves and leads versus a man who yells or berates or who threatens. And some say, well, it's because he's a man. No, it's because he's an ungodly man. It's because he is a man without grace. It's because he's a man without the fear of God. And ladies, let me say here at this point, just in case I realize sometimes this needs to be said, a home like that is not normal. And sadly, some women get so used to it or they begin to think that, well, you know, we're all just supposed to submit and, and, and respect our husbands and let him be, you know, whatever, and they don't realize that that's not what grace does when it comes into a home. Grace is safe. Now, again, I get into men can be, as somebody said, dangerous when necessary. Let an intruder come in and strong, safe dad, let him bare his teeth and his claws then, but not to those under his care. The ability to lead in God's estimation, according to the scriptures, is rooted in what? Over and over again. What's it rooted in? To, what, what do you find in, in regard, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. What do the qualifications deal with, by and large? The guy's going to be a pastor in a church. Uh, it's, it's not gift? No, it's character. Somebody's going to lead in the church? You're going to follow somebody in the church? Well, what kind of husband is he? Well, what's that got to do with anything? Is he faithful to her? What's that got to do with anything? Does he love her? Are his kids well, well, well taken care of and well managed in the home? Is he greedy? Is he violent? It's one of the things. Is he easily provoked? Is he pugnacious and contentious? The servant of the Lord needs to be patient and gentle toward all. All right? So it's going to focus on those areas of character, the ability to lead in God's estimation is not simply rooted in I'm bigger and I'm stronger than you. It's rooted in character. 
And you'll note here that when leaders are addressed, not just in the church, but in the home and, 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 and in the state, when God addresses leaders, how does he address them? So wives are told in Ephesians, exhorted toward a, a, a respectful submission to their husbands. And, and they're told that the husband is the head of the home. That's what's called an indicative. It's not an imperative. That is, it's, it's simply saying this is God's design. It doesn't say that the husband needs to ensure that everybody knows that. What's the husband compelled to do? What kind of love? Sacrificial love. Sanctifying love. Nurturing love. Right? He's not just going around snapping, you know, everybody know who I am. There's no tyranny. I, I, I have heard about men who take the passage where Peter's exhortation regarding women and, and, and said that, you know, talk, it gives Sarah as an example of a godly woman and uses the, that, that she called Abraham Lord. So this is what some buffoons have done with that. They have demanded that their wife call them Lord in the home. That's how I will be addressed in this home. That is not what that verse teaches. In fact, it's so contrary to the spirit of that text. It's not talking to you. And Sarah didn't say that with her mouth. She said it in her heart. And she's commended for her respectful heart attitude toward her husband, not that she used a certain form of address. And so some men have taken Ephesians 5, and, and, and it all becomes about how I exert leadership. Well, when leaders are addressed, again, what they are addressed to is how they handle that leadership. So in the more, uh, uh, for some controversial issue, because in, in the New Testament, can't get away from this, you had slaveholders, and you had slaves that were in the church. And servants are given certain commands in regard to, don't take advantage of your relationship in regard to how you, 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 you well, he's my brother, so therefore I, I can slack off on the job now. Don't take advantage of that. But then those in a position of leadership are exhorted to do what? To be kind and gentle and not to abuse their position of leadership. That is to, to take your leadership with character. Uh, in the church, the same way, are, are, are elders given a position of authority in the church? It's actually fairly strong. I mean, you, I, I, when I, I teach pastoral theology every now and then. I'm going to be teaching it again in a couple of weeks in, in Ecuador. And when we go through this and talk about this, the language of the scripture is very clear and very unmistakable. And yet, what does Peter say to pastors in regard to how they exercise their oversight in the church? Not as lording it over them, but serving as examples. Now, the only reason he can give that warning about not lording it over them is if they have real inherent authority. Somebody without authority doesn't lord it over. It can't, can't even lord it over anybody. But the idea is don't let your power or authority go to your head. 
This is why a man can be called to be, these are not contradictions. I don't know if I need to write these. You, you, you can be both courageous and lowly minded. You can stand firmly for the truth without being a jerk. You can be both strong and humble, compassionate and protective, strong and tender-hearted. Those things are not contradictions to each other, and it's not that one is masculine and the other undermines masculinity. And because there is a seeming threat to masculinity, in, in certain circles, it seems like some of these other characters or characteristics are, are, are kind of sometimes downplayed in light of the virtues of strength and, and courage. Well, again, the Bible calls to both. It doesn't say if you're a man and you're courageous, you don't have to be humble. It doesn't say that. If you're strong, you don't have to be lowly-minded. If you're protective, you don't have to be compassionate. Those things are not at enmity or at war with one another. They can exist in the same heart. They exist in the, same, the heart of our Savior. So how does this come into play in the raising of boys? So how many, how many of you all, how many have boys? It's a good, good number of us uh, have, have boys. So let's talk about this for a moment. And, and moms and dads can weigh in on this. If you're raising a son, are there ways that you will raise him differently or try to understand him differently and distinctly? Will you push him differently? Will you give different opportunities for him than you would a girl? Again, I understand a lot of education is generic. But is there something when you say, I'm going to have a son? that's different in my mindset, in my goal, in my desires than if I have girls or only girls. Does that make sense? Do you understand the question I'm asking? What does this mean for his emotional shaping? Anybody want to weigh in on this? I'm, 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 I'm asking your opinions here, thoughts. Todd, you've, you've had, you have daughter and sons. All right, yeah, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Yeah, go ahead. But go ahead, flesh that out. Why is it that for young men, so Todd, Todd's bringing this out. Go ahead, go ahead, flesh it out for me. Young men are, they're going to be leaders, whether they're served there by um, implementing leaders. The same way today, they're going to be leaders. They have to have a sober-minded mindset. Yeah, they're, yeah, yes. Men are, by design, indicative. They're the heads of the home. They're either good ones or bad ones, present or absent ones. They are going to have an, a, a, an influence in the home. And so one of the things you talked about is, is sober-mindedness. Should your daughter be sober-minded? Okay. But why, why, what does this matter particularly? Think about boys and even the biology of boys and think about the development of boys. All right, so do boys develop intellectually and emotionally at the same rate as girls? All right, at least generally speaking, what we understand, no. 
who tends, uh, if you have sons and daughters, to whom did you most often say, what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> was it your daughter or your son? Who, who was most likely to catch your house on fire? <laughs> to blow something up? To cause, right. Uh, again, there's something in that, and, and, and you want to harness that. And again, you don't have to emasculate that, but it's an understanding that, okay, different. He, he different. Boy, having a boy different than having a girl. And at some point, so sober-mindedness. That's good. I was going to get into that a little more fully. Anything else you think of that, you, that hit you when you said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be raising a boy here. And there are things that as I, so you're, you're raising a boy so that he can be a, a man, right? It's the whole goal of it. As sad as that is, you're raising him so they push him out of the house and maybe, you know, God willing, he's going to establish his own home and he's going to be able to, to, to get married. And, and is that, how does all of that affect this? So Emery? Put some dirt on it. Exactly. <laughs> or even yesterday, we had a ladder set up, and we were saying, hey, I want to climb the ladder. There's two or three steps up, and I don't know. I'm like, well, come on. Here's how you can do it, sort of a thing. My daughter was there, too. She wanted to climb the ladder. Might have gotten a step or two higher than him, but I was more <laughs> to push him than I was my daughter in areas relating okay. to Appreciate that, Derek. Uh, uh, a boy sandwiched between the, the the thorn with between the roses there in your house. Yeah, well, I think with with Luke, I'm going to in my mind is already to push him to protect, and even say if he pushes Kara, or I'm going to deal with him a little differently about how he needs to use his strength to protect and his his sisters. I like that phrase. You're going to use his strength to protect. Not to dominate, but to protect. And, and it is an interesting show. If, if you were to have another boy, uh, and let's say they're at whatever age, it'd be so like Luke's 10, and I think you're going to name the next one James, I think, is what you're planning on. So, and, and, and whatever his name is, is, is six. And they start tussling or wrestling, uh, throwing each other around, creating a WWE ring in the backyard. You're going to feel very differently about that than if they're using Kara Lee or Hannah Mae as a, right? And, and the one you might go, okay, hey, all right, let's, let's not kill each other, but have fun, boys. Tell you what, I'm going to buy you some boxing gloves, and we're going to learn to do this right. So there are going to be some... Certain differences there. So, in light of, let me just ask if. So, what does this mean? And Emery touched on this a little bit, and I think we need to. We need some thought on this. What does it mean for his emotional shaping? How do you handle his tears and fears? <coughs> do we do we simply say, if you're a boy, stop it? Do we handle this with suppression and shame? Do you know anybody in the Bible that was afraid? 
What's that? Yeah, Timothy was afraid. Who else is afraid in the Bible? Moses. Who else is afraid in the Bible? Saul. Saul. Who else is afraid? David. In fact, fear is the emotion most often addressed in the scriptures. And so the idea that we'll not have fear, I think we have to, it's a question of how do we handle that fear? And the idea that, well, do men cry? Do you know anybody in the Bible that was a man who cried? (laughs) Jesus. In fact, Jesus wailed. And Jesus was so emotionally under duress that apparently from what we understand, the, the vessels in his forehead burst open and he sweat drops of blood. So we've got to be careful that we not say men can't show any emotion because this is in certain aspects. You go through the, you know, how, how masculinity has been dealt with throughout history. Uh, sometimes it has been that there is, we, we, we don't show those things. What about educationally and vocationally? Might there be different ways in which we press or guide our boys or sons as opposed to our daughters? Yeah. Daryl, I don't know. I'm curious. You, you had your daughters. Your daughters have all been, all, all been educated and, and done well. But was there anything that you thought about with, with Benjamin that you thought, son, you need to, or Cindy, was there anything in your mind? Was there any difference in that? I'm just curious. You don't have to say yes. You can be... If, Right. And then that, that became our okay. We don't need to spank in or whatever. You need to right. Energy. And the girls have even recognized and they think, Mom, Mom, don't make them <laughs> uh, That's a very, that's a, what's that? That's it, right? I can tell, so I, actually, I remember some stories about Benjamin in this regard, so, but I, I won't tell them for the sake of time. All right, so, so uh, that's very interesting. I, pre- I appreciate that. Because it's, it's an understanding that he, he doesn't need to be medicated to make him, because he's, he's got testosterone. He's a, he's a, he's a male. And, and sometimes our education system needs to recognize that, and it does, and it makes everybody homogenous, and everybody has to sit there, and why can't you, and usually what a boy hears, why can't you sit there like your sister? Because he's a, he's a, cause he's a boy. It's, it's, he's not being sinful, it's just a recognition of humanity. Melissa, real quick. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, like we're commanded to be hard workers, not be lazy. Right. But one of the things we talk about with Knox, even in first grade already, is you need to be a hard worker because one day you're going to provide for your wife and yeah. children if God allows it. You know, of course, Annabella is just as good student and we pursue working hard and whatever her future is. You're setting certain goals in his mind that that he can have. All right, so just real quick, let me just run through. So what does it mean, maybe? What does it mean, perhaps, for sports? 
things typically associated with men, not, not, not exclusively. You know, we, we perhaps, do we have some female hunters here? Any? All right. And, and you, you've gotten something, right? You, 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 uh, and brother, from, and, and, some, and maybe a male in your family hasn't? Okay. <laughs> I'm only going to look in this direction and not say anything about it. So, uh, all right. So what does it say about outdoors? What does it say about maybe, you know, bodily development? Is this necessary? Can it, can it mean that if your son would rather play the cello or is gifted in the violin or the piano rather than the electric guitar, that there's something wrong with him? You see, this is where you get into some of these things that sometimes lead to, in our contemporary world, gender confusion as though drums, man, violin, woman kind of a thing. And so a guy, <laughs> I almost left it out. You know, so, but it, it can give the idea sometimes, you know, so that a boy who likes music but doesn't, is not interested in football was sometimes called a sissy. So sissy comes from, you know, sister. It's, oh, you're my little sister now, that kind of a thing. And, and, and so we, we have to be careful that that is, is not a sign, you know, that, that real men, godly men can have different interests that don't have to be gender assigned. So again, what does it mean for the body, for the development of physical strength? And this is a, a lot of people have talked about this lately, but you have to ask the question, well, what's sufficient? Well, a guy should be strong. Well, well how strong? How much does he have to bench? And, and who says how much? How do we gauge it? And we need to remember that there are arguments, or the, in these arguments, that God sometimes mocks men's strength because men will tend to, you know, we will compare this often. Well, how high can you jump? You know, if there were a sign outside and it was so high, mostly it would be the guys jumping up and trying to hit it, right? I mean, and at some point you don't do that anymore, but, you know. But it would be the guy and whoever could do the highest dunk, you know, whatever it is. But God says, do you have an arm like God? God says in Jeremiah, let not the mighty man boast in his strength. He says in Psalm 147 that God does not delight in the strength of a horse or in the legs of a man. And what he means by that is, and how strong a guy is. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 11 and 12, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to the man of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. We need to understand these things aren't any guarantee. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. That is, you, you are, you're dying. Your, your body will one day die. So as we think through these things and even the matters of what virtues we instill, how he treats, we touched on some of this, treats his mother, treats his sister, how he treats girls versus how he interacts with, with other boys and how much of this is affected by our culture. We can all uh, have those arguments. Does it change from culture to culture, what masculinity looks like and from time to time? So even in our own society, in my own lifetime, we've gone from strong and silent, distant and isolated to warm and engaging, family and friendly folk, you know, family focused and, and all of the rest. 
Um, for your thought, we're not going to we're going to end this here, uh, but we could work through what are the sins associated primarily with men, and how that will affect how we rear our sons. Lack of sober-mindedness, lust, violence, anger, corruption of power, abuse of power, those types of things. And so, brethren, in the midst of all of this, let me just end again by the reminder that as we build men and as we look to build daughters and as we look to to do good to the church and as we look to do good to society, uh, let's remember that the ultimate goal is not the size of their muscles and their ability to lead, but their heart before the Lord Jesus Christ and the building and making them like their Savior. It's to see in them a host of, of men who are men and yet bear the fruit of the Spirit by the work of Christ and the work of the grace of God. So let's pray and let's ask God's blessing on these things. Father, thank you for this time together and this time to uh, provoke Uh, thought and to engage in the scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would help us and aid us again in uh, thinking your thoughts after you. Pray, Father, you'll bless our parenting. Lord, we pray that you would bless the young men in this congregation, that there would be a generation of godly men sent forth into the church and into the world uh, who would showcase your image and do good uh, to those uh, that they interact with. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.